This is Lisa Murkowski, Chairman of the Energy and Natural Resources Committee with Murkowski's Message Podcast. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to our seventh episode of Murkowski's Message. Today is Thursday, the 25th of June. Appreciate you joining me. You know, we have, we've had a lot of opportunity um, since the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic to really appreciate in real time how reliant we are as a nation on other countries for some very important goods and, and, and products. Uh, we saw full well the, the need for, for crucial medical items like masks, uh, other personal protective equipment. Um, we know that for many of our frontline healthcare workers, our first responders, um, folks at home, they, these materials were hard to come by. And that experience has been a good reminder, I think, that much of, of what makes modern life possible from, from cell phones to, to laptops for Zoom meetings to the electricity that keeps everything running, all this comes from, from minerals and a, a recognition uh, that we need things like lithium and nickel and zinc for things like heart monitors. We need rare earth elements for, for national defense. The list goes on and on and on. Um, there, was a, there was a National Academy of Sciences study that found that every year more than 25,000 pounds of new non-fuel minerals must be provided for each person in the United States to make the items that we use every day. That, that really makes that real. But the problem is, is that as a nation, we have outsourced the production, the processing, the refining of minerals that we need. And we particularly outsource this to, to China, which leaves our manufacturers at a significant disadvantage, uh, having to form complex global supply chains. It also encourages companies to relocate abroad where they can more easily access needed materials. And what it really does is it threatens our security. When, when our military has to import magnets from China for their F-35 radar system, that, that threatens our security. So for all of those things, uh, the success of our economy, our ability to compete internationally, the strength of our defense, and, and, and really even something as simple as human health, our foreign mineral dependence leaves us at the mercy of producing and exporting nations. So I've been working in the Senate to, to uh, bring supply chains and manufacturers back to the United States uh, with legislation that we have entitled the American Mineral Security Act. I've introduced it as Senate Bill 1317 in this Congress. We have 10 bipartisan uh, co-sponsors. We have done our committee work. We've reported it from the Energy Committee on a bipartisan basis. Uh, we've also included it as part of our broader American Energy Innovation Act, uh, which uh, still awaits final passage in the Senate. And so to talk about these, these issues, the importance of, of minerals, on, on today's podcast, we have Mr. Simon Moores who is the Managing Director of Benchmark Mineral Intelligence. And for the past 14 years now, Simon has specialized in the supply chain for lithium-ion batteries. He has testified before the Energy and Natural Resources Committees 
three times in the past three years, and most recently at a hearing that we held just yesterday as we examined the impacts the COVID-19 pandemic has, um, has had on our mineral supply chains and then really what we can do to rebuild them for the long term. So uh, today, Simon is joining us from London. I so appreciate uh, not only your participation uh, this, this morning, what you have provided the, the Energy and Natural Resources Committee, most notably in your, your important testimony yesterday. So, so welcome uh, to this opportunity for a conversation. Senator McCarthy, thank you very much for inviting me on this uh, podcast. I'm, I'm really looking forward to having a, a more relaxed but really important discussion on this crucial issue. Give our listeners just um, a little bit of a, of a heads up here on folks might not know much about mining or minerals. So tell us a little bit about what it is that you do and, and how you got started here. Yeah, so I started in 2006, as you said, 14 years ago, looking at really the minerals that go into key technologies. I started from a publishing and research perspective, and that's still the business I'm in today. So um, the company I founded and operate now is Benchmark Mineral Intelligence, and we spend our time going around the world visiting lithium mines, graphite mines, the processing plants, the lithium-ion battery plants, and the electric vehicle makers, uh, the guys that use the batteries, to speak to them, get to know the companies, collect data, and uh, put together big databases and products that analyze each section of this industry and all the supply chain, and essentially uh, sell that back to the industry, so a subscription-based uh, business. But um, the most important part of, an enjoyable part of the job, is you do get to travel the world, and you get to see this global perspective from each link in the supply chain. And that's something that I think is very unique uh, with what we do. We're the only people in the world that, that do this. And um, it gives, yeah, it gets, it gives really the holistic view of the whole supply chain globally. And it's a pleasure for us to be able to then tell that story to people like, like senators, like yourself, and uh, governments around the world. Well, let's talk about that, because that really does help put it into perspective. You, you've testified before the committee, and you've just kind of said it here. Um, but you said, those who control the global minerals supply chain will hold the balance of industrial power for the 21st century. That's a pretty, that's a pretty heavy, significant statement. Um, why, don't you, why don't you just share for our casual listeners uh, what exactly you mean by that? Yeah, and it is a big statement. It's a, it's a, it's a very thought out statement. Um, we don't make big statements without thinking about them first and, and having justification for saying it. So the way I view minerals, I actually use a quote from yourself first. Um, you describe them as the building blocks of modern society. And, and it's, it's such a great quote because it's, it's so true that if you can't grow, uh, everything has to be grown or it has to be mined. So which is kind of like from a, an individual's perspective that's not maybe into mining or uh, this industry, it's kind of a bit mind-blowing that everything that exists in this world, whether it's the glass bottles that we drink out of or it's plastic chairs or paint on the walls, it's either grown um, or it comes out of the ground and it's mined out of the ground. Um, from that perspective then, you look at the last, say, 100 years and look, think about the core technologies that are, or the core things that are important to your everyday life. It will probably be your car, your automobile, 
uh, whether it's a car or you get on an airplane somewhere. It might be your computer or your iPhone. Uh, and it might be, it definitely is going to be utilities and energy to power your house. And these are fundamental things to everyday life that everybody, most people really need. And then so for, for transportation, then oil is the most important thing. For computers and iPhones, you can argue that semiconductors or silicon was a big part of, of this, this industry. For utilities, electricity, you've got coal, gas, and copper uh, that's going to be key. Um, so looking forward, what are going to be the next, key fundamental technologies for the next hundred years, the next three generations. And you're still going to need transportation, but a lot of that is becoming electrified. So what is the technology of choice, electrifying transportation? Lithium-ion batteries. And what's the key minerals for that? Lithium, cobalt, graphite, nickel. Then you look at the other core megatrend, and that is energy storage in another way, storing energy in batteries to power your home or off-grid. That's going to be necessary to actually just maintain our energy uh, needs, even rather than even grow it. And of course, the same raw materials that I mentioned before are core to that technology as well. So we identified lithium, graphite, copper, nickel, and manganese many years ago for being the core supply chains for uh, this mega trend of energy storage that will define the key technologies that we live our everyday lives. And that's what I mean by the sway of industrial power. The, and if you look at who controls it now, what countries control it, China controls pretty much all of it. Mm -hmm. And that tells you a lot of what you need to know. Right. And, and, and we heard that yesterday, um, it, not only in your testimony, but, but that of the others that were on the panel. Um, I've I mentioned now a couple times uh, on this podcast that, that you did testify before the Energy Committee yesterday. Um, as I mentioned, we were looking at... Uh, as a committee examining the impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic and the effect that it's had on mineral supply chains. If you just want to briefly, briefly um, uh, recap your testimony, uh, what your takeaways from that hearing were for our listeners. Yes, yeah, so I decided this time to focus on the midstream of the supply chain and the downstream, the, the, the creating of these battery mega factories. So to, to fuel this sort of 21st century lifestyle of, of energy storage that I just mentioned, you're going to need a lot of supersized battery plants. So you, in, in America, you might be familiar with Tesla and Elon Musk building the Gigafactory in Nevada. That is the world's biggest battery plant, and that makes as many batteries as the world made 10 years ago, which, again, is kind of a mind-blowing thing to conceptualize for me anyway, and I'm in the industry. Um, so you're going to need many of these supersized battery plants in, in the USA, like they're building in China. In the US, you've got uh, three of these battery plants so far, and only really one of them big, Tesla. In, in China, you've got 109 of them um, being built, of which 53 are already active. So for active plants, you've got 53 in China, three in the US. But you're both, you know, the US is the world's leading economy, um, and it's going to need a similar amount of, um, of, of these batteries to China. So I decided to focus on the need for these battery mega factories to be built in the USA. And then, of course, the cathodes and anodes, which are the two key components to make a lithium-ion battery. Because if you've got, you've already got the auto industry, you've already got the guys making the cars, whether that's uh, the majors in Detroit or you've got uh, the new rise of electric vehicle makers, but you don't have enough batteries, and then you don't have the cathode and anode, those midstream components, to make these batteries. But if you add those midstream elements in, then all of a sudden you start 
um, building a case for mining domestically and making chemicals domestically, and then you complete the supply chain, you complete the ecosystem, and you've created a 21st century industry. You just can't do one piece of it, if you will. Um, you might have a resource here, and you're not doing the processing here, and, and we're, we're in that same situation uh, of vulnerability. I raised the question yesterday uh, to, to the panel. I said, well, you know, we, we recall our vulnerability on oil. Many still remember uh, the situation in the 70s where we had um, long gasoline lines when people were lined up at the pump, uh, when, when supplies for oil were, were cut off uh, from overseas. And uh, I, I kind of asked the question, you know, what would life look like if we were to be cut off from our, our, our mineral supplies? And I think we recognize that, that that can happen in different ways. We're seeing, as a follow-on from the pandemic, situations where, where workers um, physically are hindered or, or, or cannot produce the mineral. Um, you might have a trade dispute um, where minerals are deliberately withheld. We, we, we saw a little bit of that uh, due to war. So you, you've, you've, you've suggested it, but perhaps a little more directly, tell our listeners what the implications would be for, for national security, the economy, and, and really our daily life if we were to lose access to critical minerals. I guess it's not just access yes. to the critical minerals, it, it is to this, this, this supply chain that we talk to. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's both, you're right. So um, if China did a rare earths, if you like, and of course rare earths is the highest profile critical minerals uh, story, um, and it's referenced so many times I go to Washington, D.C., uh, China blocked rare earth exports to Japan in 2010, and Japan couldn't make the high-tech um, components it needed for its industry. It was very, um, very high profile. If China did a rare earth, rare earth to the uh, lithium-ion battery electric vehicle energy storage industries, um, at first you wouldn't. You, first there'd be headlines, and then the headlines would die away, and then you would everyday life would carry on. But all of a sudden, then all of a sudden, probably about nine to twelve months down the line. The electric vehicles you were promised, or the energy storage systems that you'd ordered to put in your house, or, or for utility companies to store off-grid energy, they all of a sudden wouldn't be getting delivered because the batteries wouldn't be getting made. And then the battery producers would kind of be scratching their heads and saying, well, that's because we can't get hold of our cathode and anode chemicals. And then slowly you kind of step upstream and you look at um, where are these chemicals coming from? And for 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 sorry, for lithium-ion batteries, China, on the chemical processing, so these, these are the products that battery, that cathode and anode, that if you like, the battery industry buys, 65% of nickel is China, 82% uh, of cobalt is China, 100% uh, of graphite is China, 59% of lithium is China, and 93% of manganese is China. They're the five holy grail raw material, uh, let's say chemicals, if you like, that go into batteries. If only one of those gets cut off. Not all of them, just one of them, supply disruption of one of them. All of a sudden, the three months of stock that you've got in the supply chain quickly evaporates. Then the lag of the supply chain is six to nine months, and then about 12 months down the line, you simply won't be making electric vehicles, and these industries will completely grind to a halt. When we were uh, hearing from our, 
our panel of witnesses yesterday at the hearing, there was a there was discussion about what things would look like if if we didn't have critical minerals. And and the analogy that I took us back to was uh, there are those who who would recall the long lines in the 1970s to buy gasoline when we were cut off from overseas supplies and and. Uh, people understood the the vulnerability that we had on with our reliance on, on oil, um, and I think we recognize that when it comes to, to critical minerals, again we have that vulnerability, and we could see that vulnerability exposed, perhaps because of a pandemic or, or another circumstance where where workers can't physically produce the the minerals. Uh, we could we could see it as a result of a of a of a trade or or a similar dispute where those materials are deliberately withheld, we saw a little bit of that um, in 2010 between um, China and Japan. Uh, or, of course, it, it could be uh, as a consequence uh, of war. So, just real quickly, because you've 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 spoke to it in some of your comments here today, but uh, explaining what the implications would be for national security, the economy, and, and really our daily life if we were to lose access to critical minerals. Yes, yeah, so the implications would be pretty dire. You wouldn't be able to make the, the fundamental technologies that drive your economy or the components that are core and uh, critical to your national security. So uh, with this electric vehicle lithium-ion supply chain analogy, um, this also includes rare earth magnets that make electric vehicles move as well. These, these are fundamental components. If China cuts off, and China is dominant in all of these key raw materials for this supply chain, whether that's rare earths, nickel, cobalt, graphite, lithium, manganese, well over 50% of all of these raw materials uh, and chemicals come from China. Um, so it decides to cut off one of these, then all of a sudden you wouldn't be able to make your electric vehicles. It, because all of these raw materials are needed uh, to input into one electric vehicle or one stationary storage, energy storage battery. Um, so you would get the headlines of trying to cut off, uh, let's say, cobalt chemical supply from this supply chain. You would get the headlines, but then after the headlines died down, it would only be about nine months later that all of a sudden the electric vehicle that you're promised wouldn't arrive and the supply chains will start drying up because there's only about three months worth of stock in the supply chain. It takes about six to nine months for, for this for one uh, to, to move through the supply chain in its entirety. So in about a year's time, your electric vehicle industry, your energy storage industry, uh, or fundamental technology industries to, to national defense will simply start drying up. And that's um, probably the most dire situation you could possibly think of. You know, we we talk a lot about about China and and the role that they have assumed globally as it relates to to not only the critical minerals themselves but but really that whole supply chain. Um, but what we heard from you and from others yesterday was that uh, uh, some of the European nations are are really starting to step up and beginning to compete with with China in in this space. Um, why don't you why don't you go a little further into uh, into what we're seeing in Europe? So Europe has started to build um, more lithium-ion battery mega factories. Now that has been happening in the U.S., but in a much less coherent plan. So what uh, Europe has got 16 of these battery mega factories that are in the pipeline being built. 
so what happened was the, the European Union put together this EU battery alliance to bring together industry, government, and financiers. So that's step one to discuss actually what's the economic need for this and how do we fund it or give access to capital to make it happen so we don't drop the ball on this. The second thing was making it happen. So it was identifying um, early stage companies that have technology or that have know-how that can actually that can be scaled to build this supply chain. And they were identified and given funding, uh, early stage funding um, from the European Union. The third element was actually getting the money in the European um, the European bank allowed access to debt capital. They made it much easier. They prioritized this industry. So it was a coherent um, strategy, was the word you used, Senator, in the, um, mm -hmm. in the hearing yesterday, this coherent strategy, but still, still obviously keeping it open to the capital market, still uh, allowing business to be business, but actually just, just oiling the, the wheels and giving them a, a focus that Europe needs a lithium-ion battery industry if it doesn't then it realizes that its auto industry for the 21st century will be under serious problems. Well, and that coherent strategy is something that um, some of us in, in the Senate are, are really trying to help advance and push. Um, we've introduced legislation uh, that I have built called the American Mineral Security Act. I think it's pretty good legislation. It's bipartisan. It, uh, has some ready-made solutions uh, there to, to focus on supply, production, manufacturing issues, looking to our own resources, uh, again, to decrease our, our reliance there. So we're continuing to push out on that. But uh, I think recognizing that whether it's China uh, or, or uh, uh, some of our uh, friends and allies in Europe, uh, they are looking at this issue of, of critical minerals and, and recognizing a need for a coherent strategy. Um, really, last, last big question here for you is, um, and we can talk about, uh, we can talk about this as, as a significant need. We know that we have many of the critical uh, resources here in the United States, but so often you can have access to the resource, but when you don't have access to the capital, uh, it doesn't come uh, together as it needs to. You speak very frequently with companies and industry representatives. What have they identified as barriers to mineral production and manufacturing here in the United States? It's a good question. There are a number of barriers. Um, I would say access to uh, the problem with U.S.-based projects is they usually hire operating costs than in China. So from a mining or raw material fundamental perspective, when an investor looks at these projects, they say um, it's 25% more costly to get this mineral out of the ground than China, so we're going to forget about it. When actually, really, they should be looking um, from a supply chain perspective. So operating cost is, higher operating cost is a problem, but it's only a problem when you don't have the, uh, the supply chain in place, the customers based in the US, to actually um, make these viable. Um, and that would, those operating costs would change. That business case would change if you start building the industry here, uh, sorry, within the US. I'm in London, but uh, within the US. The second thing is um, there's an anti-mining sentiment in the US that puts sophisticated investors off. There's an assumption that the US doesn't do mining, which of course is completely incorrect if you look at the state of Alaska, for example. Um, the US 
has some of the most important and um, and and it has the skills to mine these uh, raw materials, and it has some of the biggest mineral assets in the world. Um, yet, just the actual sentiment of um, that the U.S. doesn't do mining is a big issue compared compared to Canada or Australia. Um, of course, smaller countries, much smaller economies, very mining focused. Um, there's no reason why the U.S can't be uh, known as a mining or a supply chain industry going forward. So I think the sentiment's a big problem. And, and I think these things, I think the third thing is access to data. So the problem with geological survey data, what you want in, 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 in um, uh, America is you want loads of prospectors to come along and drill and update drilling records and show and build out resource estimates for all of these minerals um, to update this data on a regular basis. Because data really feeds into building new mineral, uh, new mineral deposits, new companies, and it goes to the investors and they become the mines of tomorrow. And I think uh, that's a, a big thing I thought with the American Mineral Security Act when you talked about codifying the methodology and, and updating critical minerals lists and the need for good data on a regular basis. I think the data is the third core component that it's just old at the moment in the US and it needs to be updated regularly. And I think once those, th those things come together, investors will start seeing the business case on the mining side, especially when there's uh, infrastructure for a 21st century electric vehicle in the domestic U.S. You've tied that up neatly. Um, I haven't asked you for an endorsement of my American Mineral Security Act, but uh, you have certainly spoken to, uh, to some of the component pieces in it and why they are important, so I appreciate that. Okay, here's your last question. and. Um, I'm thinking it's a total softball, but maybe not. Question is, what is your favorite mineral? <laughs> um, it's tough because we deal with the best ones, right? The, the, the best minerals are the ones that go into batteries and electric vehicles. Uh, but I would have to say lithium. Even though graphite was I the knew mineral it. that I knew you were going to say lithium. <laughs> <laughs> is it too obvious? It's too obvious, but... No, graphite, graphite's a good one. Graphite's at my heart because that's what launched Benchmark. And, and actually, graphite, there's a significant graphite deposit, graphite one in Alaska as well. I want to give them a shout out. and mm -hmm. um, Really important deposit to look into, uh, especially for this new EV supply chain. But graphite's close to my heart. Lithium, uh, though, is, is the number one to me. There you go. I love it. Um, it's all about further education, and um, you have certainly provided that to us here uh, on this podcast, but also with the contributions that you have made as we're trying to develop policy here in the United States. So, Simon, thank you so very much. It was a pleasure to have you on. Uh, to Simon Morris, thank you for joining me today to discuss the importance of minerals to our supply chains and so, so much more. And to, to those who have listened, be safe, be healthy. Thanks so much. Thank you.